Keepers of the Flame, the classic metal podcast with Rev Taylor and Darren Wall. Reviews, interviews, and conversation since 2021. Hello, and after a more than brief hiatus, uh, welcome back to Keepers of the Flame, the classic metal podcast. We've been off for a couple weeks now because uh, Mr. Rev went on vacation to a friend's wedding in Chicago, which sounded like it was quite the epic trip. And I've been working out of town and out of state uh, for my job. So we haven't really been, you know, around much during the week or the weekends or anything to, to podcast. But, you know, we're back now. And I think even with me being out of state the next couple of weeks, we could probably work something out because, you know, it ain't like I'm doing much when I'm down there. Yeah. Off my, off time. So anyway, yeah, welcome back to the show. Uh, it's a Sunday night. It's time to kick back and relax with a beverage of your choice. I have from my neighbors in the Ballard neighborhood of Seattle, Stoop Brewing. This is called a German-style spring lager. I don't know what makes it a spring lager, and the lady at the brewery didn't know either, other than the fact that it's it was brewed and released in this spring. But it is a tasty, malty beverage with a nice little hot bite, some classic Munich uh, malt flavor and it weighs in at a nice medium 6.8%. Uh, so I bought a four pack of this cause I had a liquid lunch with my boss the other day and, uh, I liked it so much that I bought a four pack, but again, returning from the Midwest, my co-host, Mr. Rev Taylor, how are you today, brother? Doing great, man. It was really refreshing to get out of the house to put some miles on the Subaru and to, uh, I don't know, see some of America. It was really cool uh, just to, I think we drove about 6,000 miles um, and uh, saw some old friends, which was really great and saw some of the the big sky country out in the open plains and just really nice after being kind of cooped up for a year or so to get out and get the big sky out above you. And uh, so that was really refreshing. I feel kind of like a new man and ready to uh, do some podcasting. I got a glass of, I think this is the Aberlour 12 year single malt scotch it's actually the second glass of scotch i've had today because i went to get a new phone today and as everyone knows i'm sure that kind of takes forever because they had to transfer the other stuff from my old phone and i've got so many pictures and songs and stuff on there that they're like this will take 55 minutes yeah it's it's freaky how they do it it's freaky like i don't know you yeah you have an iphone too right yeah yeah it's freaky when i did mine and they like held them together and the phone started just talking to each other i was like Okay, but yeah, I would say my, I just sit there for like an hour and a bit waiting for them to transfer all my shit. But yeah, they, they were like, you could welcome to sit in this plastic chair in the corner of the Verizon store for an hour with no phone. <laughs> and I was like, hmm, I think I'd rather go across the street to the old bar and uh, get a, get some whiskey. So that's what I did. So it's been a, a day of some relaxing and drinking whiskey. So that's, that's a good thing. And a podcast is a nice way to uh, top it off. Awesome. Well, hey, uh, this week... Let's get into some metal then, you know. Um, this week we have a new album by a, a really young band. I shouldn't say relatively young band. These guys are pretty. These guys are really young. Um, it's the band is Lycanthro, and I hope I'm saying that right. L Y C A N T H R O. Um, if I'm not, well, I don't know. They can kick me in the balls one day when they see me for that. Um, yeah, I'm not they, quite sure where you want to put the emphasis on that because yeah, uh, Lycanthro. Lycan- yeah, yeah Lycan. Lycanthropy is like, uh, I guess the the official name for the condition of being a werewolf. 
Um, and that's probably it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's, that's probably the right pronunciation then in that case. Because so, the album is called Mark of the Wolf. So there's the, there's the probable giveaway as to how we're supposed to pronounce this. Yeah, we've definitely got a lot of werewolf themes going with the, the, the cover art, the name of the band, the title of the album, and uh, some of the lyrical material too really fits into that kind of vibe. So yeah, let's uh, go down the path of the werewolf. Yeah, so a little history of these guys. These guys have been around since 2014. Um, they were originally called Death Wish, um, and um, Charles Bronson was not in the band, I'm assuming, but they changed their <laughs> name to Lick and Throw in uh, 2016. And they've been going under that moniker ever since. Um, they've done a demo which get, and an EP, both of which garnered some attention in the underground. And now they are doing their first full-length album. Um, this was released on the 4th of June of this year, 2021, on Alone Records, which I wasn't familiar with, but they have some recognizable names on it. I don't know if some of it is re-releasing or what, but there's some cool bands on that. It's a Greek label. Um, so yeah, again, this is their um, first full-length uh, some of it's new material, and some of it, according, is songs from their uh, demo that they put out in 2017. Um, what we get here is fairly classic uh, traditional metal. Um, I hear like a lot of Priest, a lot of Saxon, uh, some Metallica, a little bit of Megadeth, some blind, sometimes some Blind Guardian when they do their more power metal-y moments. Um, there's things I liked about it and things I didn't like about it. Um, I think what we have here is a young band with a shitload of potential um, and who are kind of finding their feet and they're doing great for being this being their first, uh, very first full length for mm -hmm. a bunch of young dudes. Um, it's a lot more, the upsides, um, it was a lot more diverse uh, in the, the, the arrangements and some of the parts uh, that, that I expected. Some of it surprised me. There's like, some choir stuff, some classical guitar, uh, some piano. Um, so, you know, and, and some of that stuff, and so lots of twists and turns, and sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. There's some of these odd elements that are thrown in, and it's really cool, and sometimes there's these odd elements that are thrown in, and it's honestly kind of awkward. Um, yeah. But, hey, like, I, I would really rather see a young band branching out and trying stuff than, you know, just kind of always playing it safe. Um, so yeah, I mean this, like, like I said, this is a young band. I hear a lot of potential. I overall enjoyed the record. Um, I wouldn't say I loved it, but I enjoyed it. Um, there, some of the riffs are really good the solos. Um, most of them were pretty, were really good. Um, again, the tone, like the solo tone is a little flat, like every fucking band <laughs> with, with the exception of very few um I, I i've harped about it i miss the days when of you know when soloists really try to dial in their own sound um everybody in this band is very capable um the uh bass and drums the rhythm section is solid i liked a lot of the work this bass player did at certain points um i got really stoked on a couple of his passages um the vocals um at times are pitchy and there are key issues um, with him singing in the right key. Um, but he does write some good stuff and he sings with a lot of energy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it seems like you summed it up pretty well. I had, I had a bit of a tough time getting into this album. I mean, because I can tell all the ingredients are really good. There's a, a lot of talent in this band from everyone. Um, and, and it's a 
the record sounds pretty good production wise. There's, there's a lot of clarity in it. Um, it's the, the instruments sound punchy. It, it sounds good, but somehow for me, it didn't quite add up to, to something that really did it for me. Despite the fact that, as you said, there's some good moments. Um, some of that's the vocals and I, I found the, the vocalist kind of frustratingly inconsistent because, you know, it's not just somebody who, who can't sing well because he actually has some moments that are like very good, like really, really uh, high quality singing. And then there's some moments where uh, it's not, like you said, it's a little pitchy. It's not quite, he doesn't sound like he quite knows exactly what key he's singing in. And uh, I think there's a lot of stuff that goes into that. Some of it is tension in the vocal mechanism. I think I'm, I'm hearing a lot of tension in the tongue, tension in the back of the throat that's kind of pushing the pitch, pitch downward sometimes. I think some of it is, um, some of it is just maybe not knowing exactly what some of the internal notes are. Like, you know, yes. in a phrase when you're going from one note to another, you know where you start, you know where you finish, but you also have to know all the points along the way. Mm -hmm. uh, and some of those passages, I was like, oh, are you sure about all that? And then some of the, the third thing I kind of identified that was, was causing a little trouble for me with the vocals was the way that some of the double tracking is done in the studio. They were recording in different octaves and some of the, the doubling. And then sometimes there's like uh, a kind of harsher tone he's using doubled over a cleaner tone to kind of give it a different sound and, and you can get cool sounds that way, but you have to be really careful to make sure that the pitches and the vowels you're using, even in different pitch ranges are matching up because a mismatch between the pitches and, or the, uh, the actual uh, way you're pronouncing your words. Uh, if those are mismatched, it's going to create the impression of the pitch being not quite right. And so at different points in the album, I was hearing, all three of those different factors coming into play. That said, there are some moments, especially when this guy goes up into his falsetto and his like high tenor range that are really exciting and sounds fucking awesome. I would say that too. I mean, I, you know, you know me and falsettos, I'm just not my favorite thing in the world, but this guy actually does it very well. And he, has, he, he exercises yeah. really good control when he's up there in the falsetto range. And most of his, most of his falsettos are actually in key. And when he really goes for the gusto, those weren't really the problematic parts for me vocally. It was more the reserve parts where he's trying to be more melodic and, and, and soulful, I guess, that, um, uh, and reserved. Those are, that's when it kind of goes off the rails a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, as a singer, I can say, I, 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 there are some ways in which singing in the middle of your voice and just trying to like hold down a solid verse, for example, um, that can be some of the hardest singing. It's not the flashy moments sometimes aren't the hardest. Sometimes it's really the like more pedestrian stuff that's harder to do. Um, and there's a lot that goes into it. I think this is a singer that would definitely benefit from a, a visit to a voice teacher if he hasn't already. And, and this is something I, little soapbox for me here. I think every now and then I've encountered like uh, people saying like, oh, you, know, you need voice lessons as like an insult or something. But really like singing is hard. We can't hear our own voices. We can't, it really helps to have someone who's, you know, a, a third party who kind of can just listen and give their opinion and who's trained about like how the mechanism of the voice works. There's no shame in that whatsoever. I think no matter what your instrument is, like absolutely it's worth 
getting some uh, second opinions when it comes to honing your craft. Well, so I think what you're talking about when you when you speak about a voice coach, you're not saying this dude can't sing. Like we are, t- it's kind of like I I, I, see, I view singing as a very like almost athletic thing. Sometimes yeah. it's it's you're using muscles, and for me. For people out there in podcast land who don't know me, um, I'm an active weightlifter, powerlifter. And, you know, I was always a big, strong kid, and I was always, like, able to, you know, lift a good amount of weight. But it wasn't until I actually, like, like sought out the advice of a nutritionalist and, you know, somebody who could te- – uh, and, and somebody who trained people, like a strength trainer. Um, not a personal trainer, not someone to, like, really, like – you know, say, Hey, this is your program. This is how you do everything. But someone to look at what you're doing, look at your mechanics and go, okay, you know, here's, you know, you, you, you're, you have like when you're squatting, there's a little bit of what we call butt wink, you know, for, <laughs> it's, it's a little thing that you do. So you got to, so you got to tighten some, certain things up. You learn to engage your core muscles. You learn to protect your lower back muscles. You learn to like drive your heels through the floor. You learn lots of little things that help you control the lifts, prevent injuries and, get them and maximize your training. Um, and that's, I think some of the things a vocal, a voice coach could do. They can teach you like the physical things that you need to do to make these things that you want to do happen. Exactly. Yeah. And especially when I hear somebody who's got so much talent and where so much of it is working really well, I just want to get in there and be like, Hey man, loosen up that tongue, make sure you're breathing from the right place make sure you're warming up correctly and make sure you're doing the proper study to know what every note you want to sing is. It's like, I mean, for me, I guess the, the normal, the, the sports metaphor I lean into is baseball. Cause that's the thing I'm most into, but it's like when you've got a pitcher who, who has a great fastball and has some great junk and can put some great spin on the ball, but you know, if they can't quite find the plate, that's a fixable problem. You know, you don't want to see that talent go to waste. Mm-hmm. that's the thing you know you want to see the talent really nurtured and, and someone who can like sing some of these falsettos so well and who's got the energy that you mentioned really down like i don't let that talent go to waste like absolutely find a way to cultivate it whatever it takes well, and again, these guys are like pretty young i mean this kind of reminds me a lot of the things that i hear that i like i say the things that i hear that i love that i re- love that i like that i dislike on this record remind me of all the things that I love, like, and dislike on the first albums I ever made. Yeah. You know, there, there's just these little things here and there. And to go back, to change gears and go back to the production for a minute, I do think the production is very good here. Um, it's well mixed. It's well recorded. The instruments are all audible. The tones are good. I think for if, if this, these kind of songs need a grander production. Yeah, like it, it almost like it wasn't enough. Like it was too raw, which is weird. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of ideas they have. Like there are some choir parts and stuff. They were really cool, but I was like, man, that little choir voice needs to be massive. Like that yeah. little choir voice needs to. It sounds like ten people needs to sound like ten thousand people. Yeah, you know? it sounded to me like on some of those the little choir parts they had going on. It was, it was through some putting some effects on just a couple voices. Yeah. And you, you know, it's fine. But you, what you could do is you can do that six different times standing in different parts of your studio, you know, at different ranges from the thing yeah. over and over. And then you copy and paste and you make 10,000 of them and you pitch shift it and you make this giant fucking thing. Like, like when you hear a blind guardian record or something like that. And there's like this big choral arrangement. It's gotta be fucking massive, man. Like we're playing heavy metal here. 
So that was kind of some of the stuff that I was wanting from those parts. Um, that makes sense. Yeah, because the way the production is, is it's, it's very clear, but it's, it's so crystal clear that it kind of, it does reveal some of the hiccups in the performances. Yeah, so the, uh, a, little more, a little bit of correcting of some things and some bigger, bolder sounds probably would have kicked this fucking record up a notch. Yeah, yeah. I mean, clearly they're, they're, like we've said, there's a lot of potential, a lot of talent here. Um, it, I, I, already I'm curious to hear what they might do on their next album and how they might be cultivating all this. This is a, this is a band time. to watch. This is definitely yeah. a band to watch. But let's get into the guts of this. So yep. um, Crucible, Crucible starts. Um, and this is quite an epic song to start with. It's a yeah. seven-ish minutes long. There's lots of stuff going on in this record. Like there's some soaring high vocals, lots of harmonies, like some really nasty chugging chugging riffs. Um, There's a really broken down like melodic section. There's a a breakdown for lack of a better term. This is a busy song. There's lots of dynamics and, you know, it kind of caught me at first. I was like, okay, like, here we go. There's a lot, there's a lot going on here. if there's flaws again on this on this song, it might be that some of the parts seem a little bit disjointed. Um, yeah, but not terribly. Um, but yeah, like like a lot of the, the issues on this song are ones we already talked about. But I think I think it's a pretty cool tune, and it's a cool choice to start it. Yeah, I think this is one of the more successful songs in the album for me. I I did like this one. Um, it definitely sounds like they've been listening to some old school Metallica. Mm-hmm. which is i mean that's a safe bet with almost any metalhead right but like but the way it's put together it starts off with you know it starts off a little acoustic intro right and then kicks into this dun 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 it's it's very like uh 80s thrash kind of sense of scope you know everything they fit into the seven minutes yeah um, I, I do think that there's um maybe a tiny tangent here but they're definitely in metal is a bit of a like a six minute disease that you, start <laughs> you know <laughs> or like yeah you know you get a, a lot of songs that start running around the six five and a half to seven minute mark and uh it starts to raise the question like and, and not that i mean i love a good six and a half to seven minute song but it starts to beg the question when you see an album that's like well every song is like about the same length and it's that mm. And I do kind of blame Metallica for that a little bit, honestly. Because... Well, that, 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 says, that says to me, <laughs> do they have a formula? Yeah. Like, is there, is there a formula going on? Um, this one, I think, works at the six and a half, seven minute mark. Um, me too. And, and part of the reason for that is because I was thinking about it, like, I, I, that, that occurred to me, like, oh, this has this, this sort of six, seven minute thing going on. But I realized on this particular song, I shouldn't criticize that because my favorite part is the kind of extended groove section they get into yeah, around the last third of the song. That one's that's that part's nasty. Like that yeah. part's that part's real nasty, and that, it, it's cool. This song, yeah, there's lots of it's, it's very high energy, um, and yeah, when they really start getting in down to these heavier, I hate the word breakdown because don't take breakdown as a dun 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 hardcore thing. It's just like uh, like a nasty chunkier slower part where it's like you know there's lots of anthemic chanting and stuff and yeah it, this, this song was great i mean I, and i was you know uh, th- this shows you a, a glimpse of where they could go yeah yeah there's clearly a lot of thought being put into how it's put together the way they bring together the riff from the beginning put it at the end um i guess i didn't 
I guess my problem, like I actually liked the way it's put together. I just didn't love most of the individual parts that were put together, except I do think that riff in the bridge that kind of becomes the, the extended groove section, like the, the head banging bit that I thought was the best riff in the song. Yeah, I agree. Um, but yeah, this was, this, this song, this song was cool, but this one, this one worked for me. I, I, I like it overall. Um, the next one is Fallen Angel Prayer, which apparently, after a bit of reading, I found out is about the Hunchback of Notre Dame. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so that kind of like, that, that put a little bit of, I thought that was a cool topic to tackle. And that, that actually made the piano part make a little more sense. Yeah. Um, because when I first listened to it, the piano part didn't make any fucking sense to me at all. I was kind of like, why is that there? And it just kind of came out of nowhere. Um, but the, the one, here's the thing I'll say about this band. All these songs have cool intros. That's true, yeah. Like every single one of these songs starts off with a cool intro. This one starts off with a wicked intro. It's mid-paced. Um, the riffing's pretty cool. It almost sounds to me like the, 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 the rhythm is a little off time with where the riff is to really groove hard. Um, yeah. And that, that was a strange thing to me. I was like, man, like, there's something just missing a little bit with this groove. This, the guitar solo in this rules. This is the, yeah. one of the, best, the best solos on this album. There's a lot of cool solos, and but the shredding on this song is sick. Um, and yeah, then they, they they clip into this piano part, which you know, like I said, now that I kind of looked into the lyrics and heard, figured out it was about the Hunchback of Notre Dame, um, you know, and it's kind of about like you know self-image and blah blah blah, and you know that the whole the tragedy of that story. That part made a little more sense to me, but the first time I listened to it, I was like, this is kind of cool, but I don't know why it showed up. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a little goofy at points, but I have to say I I liked it um in part because it's one of the more memorable parts on the album. It is, yes. Um and you know, to me like this the second half of the song for that reason becomes like way more memorable than the first half. But it also to me what I liked about it is it really shows a sense of drama. Yeah. Um, there's a yeah. lot of storytelling going on there and for that reason I think it's one of the most promising parts of the album for me because mm -hmm. after the guitar solo which as you said was sick it goes into this piano bit and there's some kind of balladry and the singers uh, using this kind of quieter voice we haven't heard it yet it's a it's a lighter production he's kind of it does show that he's able to go from this kind of lighter breathier tenor sound into falsetto really successfully that blend is really nice mm -hmm. um and here's where we get the kind of odd pitch shifted voices going sanctuary um, yeah yeah but the, the fact that, that was weird yeah it was weird but like i can remember it it sticks in my head and that was and, one of those moments where i said this needs better production mm -hmm. like or not not better better is the wrong word this needs bigger production like yeah. if that was if that had like if that part had like some more voices some female voices yeah on it on it too and some like some bigger like more echoey stuff going on then it would be really cool like if, if it was like you know like a blind guardian or like i hate to use it but like an iced earth kind of sounding part like with yeah. that kind of production it would have been really cool well it would have also been a good fit for the theme of the song of like creating the atmosphere of the cathedral right with the, with yeah. the choir and with the kind of religious stuff in the big echoey space mm -hmm. um but, but I, the way they brought it into the end, is, it's cool. It does really build up to this crescendo. And he sings like, at the very end, I think it's on the word die or something. He sings this very high falsetto note. 
Um, yes. I didn't see exactly what it was. And it sounds desperate. And I really, I got the emotion and the storytelling at the end. Mm. I thought it was a little funny. Like it, it ends and then it, the song actually ends with a little whisper, by your side, which I thought was a, it's a little funny to like end a song on, on the whispering bit like that. But again, I remember it. And it, yeah. it, it sticks out to me. Uh, and you know me, I'm always, it's the, the stuff that sticks out is a little bit weird is oftentimes going to be the stuff I like the best. Well, you know what, you know what, that's what is going to stand out. If you, you know, and I like that. I like the fact that is one of the things I really liked about this band is they do take some risks. Yeah. They do do some stuff that's out there. I, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would like to hear a little bit more stuff like that. It is it, like you say, it's a bit blind guardian in that we're really going to create a world. We're going to like have these little bits that all fit together to like create this big epic picture, but in a more, uh, you know, a more sort of Gothic style, which works with the, with the name of the band and the, and the werewolf imagery and everything. And the hunchback is kind of a good fit for that kind of theme. So I think, you know, there's, there's definitely a niche for them if they want to build into that and add some more of the like, choir and symphonic aspects and add a little bit more uh, storytelling and interludes and let the vocalist kind of off the chain to do a bunch more unique stuff. I think there's definitely a niche for them there. Totally. Um, so yeah, so moving on, um, we get the title track, Mark of the Wolf. And this was a song that, you know, I think has, the, this riff is awesome. I thought, yeah. the, I thought the riff is super catchy, but as a song, it didn't really work for me. Um, Agreed, yeah. It, the, the dot, the points didn't connect. And I'm going to go back to your point you made earlier, because I wrote this down too. Main reason it didn't for me is because it's too long. Um, yeah. It's five to six minutes. Um, this A song like this that has that kind of, you know, it's a really catchy, hooky, you know, medium, fast-paced riff. If this was like a three-minute song with that riff, you know, like a pre-chorus, a chorus, a really catchy vocal line, a quick, 20 second solo and bring it on home would have been awesome. And it would have been the perfect song to have with the three third. Yeah. Yeah. I think what you say, there's something I think they could work on is kind of creating some more memorable choruses. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Cause it just, what will happen is they, they get going on, on like the bridge sections of these songs tend to be really awesome. There's some really cool soloing. Um, this guitarist, the, the, the main lead guitarist, clearly really loves the tiny frets. Mm -hmm. um, yes. And, and <laughs> it's a little bit of like a, I hope no one's offended if I say it's a little bit of a Kerry King style thing sometimes where there's like a wildness to it and a lot yeah. of like, there's a lot of chromaticism and sometimes the notes are maybe not yeah. totally related to the, the key they're playing in, but that's, it works. Mm -hmm. um, and then you get the, the band riffs really well. So you get these things where they're taking us to riff town and there's been a sick solo and then the chorus comes back in to like try to tie it all together. And for me at that point, it just kind of loses energy rather than gaining energy. Yeah. Listener. That was my experience. And, and I think that could be fixed potentially by trying to create choruses that are intentionally built to accommodate the vocals a little bit more. Uh, because it sounds to me in some ways like the chorus is kind of fitting over the main riff of the song. And, yeah, and we, see, and we see that at some points of this album. Um, it's just too bad that it wasn't here on like what is arguably the best riff on the record. Um, right. and like like yeah. I said, if, if this was 
a three minute burner with a really memorable chorus and it was kept really simple and concise. I think this would be an incredible memorable song. But well this is one too where like the you can hear the vocalist taking different approaches on different songs, mm. which is good, right? It's not not necessarily using a one size all one size fits all kind of approach. And this right. is one of the ones where they're they're kind of doing some double tracking with some with some uh, more guttural style vocals in the background uh, and some like higher falsettos over it. But for some reason on this one is, it's really out of all the tracks, the one where the vocals worked for me the least where I'm like, yeah, I agree with it. I agree with you. They, they just, they seemed a little disjointed meandering. Um, And it just, it it wasn't even like necessarily a key issue or anything. It just was a melody issue and the lack of hooks and it never, it never drew me in. And I just kind of found, myself really interested when the riff came in and being like, all right, here we go. And then it just kind of tra- trailed off and I was, wasn't too interested after that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Next track, Enchantress. Another rad intro. The intro yeah. is super cool. I, it was interesting to me that the bass is following the guitar on this one and not the drums, which is like mm-hmm. counterintuitive to everything I do as a bass player, <laughs> but it was really cool. Um, you know, um, this song I, I found kind of plotting. Um, yeah, it didn't quite. I mean, here's the th- this is a, an album, and we haven't talked about this yet, but I felt like there was a little bit of a monotony of tempo going on yeah. with all these songs. This is a very mid tempo album, and pretty much all of the songs fit into that. There are variations, but it's largely just about, yeah. There's not, there's, not a, there's not a burner on it, you know, there's not nothing really super fast or anything. Um, but yeah, this one kind of just plods a little bit. It didn't really catch my attention. Um, the solo section was really cool though. And, you know, I did like how the instruments kind of carried the song into the outro. They didn't yeah. really go back to um, a verse or a chorus or anything or anything. They just kind of let the, had this really cool solo section and let the instruments kind of carry the song out. So and I, I like that. that. I mean, and yeah. a good outro gives me a, a real heavy metal hard on you know and, and <laughs> i did like that about this song <laughs> yeah I, so, I, I think the outro is a uh it's a it's a sacred thing you know you gotta you gotta respect the outro and i wish more bands committed to it committed to doing something different for the outro and really committed to carrying it home like that and that's they show on this album that that's something they're definitely capable of i'd like to hear even more adventurous choices in that regard from this band in the future fair um so yeah i mean that, i don't have too much else to say about that track it really was probably one of my least favorites um it just really didn't do much for me overall i don't know Same, if yeah sad. um the next song i really liked because i'm a total cheese dick and I, li- <laughs> and I like and i love man of war and majesty and wizard so i love songs about metal and this is a song about metal and it's it has every cliche in the fucking book um it's but it's got it's like it's got a real striker vibe to it um which Mm. being a Mm -hmm. canadian band i mean these dudes are from ottawa um and so which is actually kind of a cool city it's the capital for those who Mm. don't know and um you know it, it is it is a bit boring because it's a government town but there is some really cool shit to do in ottawa and if you get bored you can just walk across the bridge to hull quebec and party in quebec um but yeah this one this one hit this kind of hit the spot for me um it wasn't like the best song in this style i've ever heard it's whatever but you know there was great riffs great enthusiasm i thought the energy like came back up on this one 
Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, there's really cool bass lines in this song. Like, there's a real epic outro. Um, like I said, I, I love these. I love these heavy metal cliche songs because that's just something that really, for whatever reason, you know, like does it for me. Because it always has since I was 16, <laughs> and it'll never fucking change. So, I mean, I know there was probably. I, I found myself just rocking out to this song and having a lot of fun when I was listening to it. And I got a new. I got a new vehicle with a kick-ass stereo in it, so it's been a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun listening to this song on that stereo. So I don't know. I don't have anything bad to say about this tune. Um, it's probably this is this is probably one that's going to stay in my iTunes. I think this song is super fun. Yeah, I've got a playlist uh, that I've been collaborating on with um, with our guitarist Jacqueline. Actually, where I was like, I'm going to make a playlist of all the songs I have that have metal in the title or about metal. Nice. And uh, yeah, I, I should send it to you because there's some there's some cool shit on there, and this will definitely. I think this will survive on my iTunes too because of it. Um, because, you know, I like, like you, I enjoy those tracks. And, you know, at first, this was really one that grew on me because when I first listened to it, I was like, oh, yeah, this song about metal, you know. But then the more I listened to it, I was like, this is actually pretty cool. And I like the way that, like, the first verse is, like, you know, all about Black Sabbath and, you know, yeah, I respect it, that. Like, it's, it's campy and it's cliche and it's everything it should be in, in a song like this, you know. They they sang about bands that they love and the style and the lifestyle they love and this is everything a song like this should be. I was yeah. like ten out of ten for me. I fucking love this track. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I do th- think though, um, kind of going back to one of your earlier points, like there's some there's some cool gang vocals on here, like and metal, metal, we trust. Could be bigger. We could yeah. be bigger. We could do, yeah. we could do more. You know, there's with a song like this. Uh, with traditional heavy metal, there's no such thing as too big. There's no such Dude, thing as too much. That's yeah, why I, I mean, love it. Remember when we were recording Halls of Insanity and we were just like, we we're doing the chanting parts. I was just like, no, another one, another one, another yeah. one, another yeah. layer. <laughs> like I kept, you know, and that's the funny thing is, is if you want that sound, every, you have to, every single producer and engineer that you're ever going to work with is going to fight you on it because they don't want to mix all those layers. You got to, you got to tell them <laughs> no. You, you, you got to tell them no. You have to layer layer after layer if you're gonna have a gang vocal man it's gonna sound like an army you don't want it to sound like your buddies at the bar like you want it to sound like a fucking army like it's gonna sound like a stadium full of people chanting so you know it's piss your engineer off you know don't listen to them (laughs) don't listen to them listen to them when it comes to like you know um maybe like you know where to put the microphones or which microphone to use but when they tell you that you have enough tracks on your gang vocals don't listen tell them you want <laughs> six more at least so that's because that's my experience like most sound engineers are, are are down to try something that feels a little crazy or excessive too like they they like that they're like they do oh, they do but they don't like all those they don't like all those tracks <laughs> on there they don't like to have to deal with all those tracks because it slows their shit down right so I get that, but I just don't give a shit because it's my fucking record and I want it to sound, I want the gang vocals to sound like a goddamn army of 10,000 people. So, yeah, that, that could have been, that could have been a little bigger. Again, like, I think this whole album, this song too, could do with some shinier production. Yeah. This is one that I, I think it'd be fun to hear live. Like, if we ever play yeah, with these guys or if they ever come through town, like, I think this one would kick ass live, get the crowd chanting along and everything. Yeah, for sure. So that's that one. Next, actually, so this was in- interesting. This was my this next one was my favorite on the record. Yeah, man, this song is cool. It's the shortest song on the album by it is. 
by a and, and, good stretch. And it was it was refreshing into oblivion. This is the best riff on the album for me. This riff absolutely kicks. It's, a, it's a, the song's a total rager. Um, I like the interplay with like it's a classic move. It's like a very like accept move, but it's classic where they have like something drop. Like, it drops out a bit, and then like the the the, the singing voice, the voice happens, like the singing part happens, and they kick back into the main riff, and they go back and forth, right? Um, I really like that. That's a that's a, I'm, a thing I'm never going to get. It's classic shit. I'm never going to get uh, tired of that. The singing is actually quite spot on on this song, I thought. Um, that drum and bass spot with the keyboards around the 130 mark is just oh, awesome. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, those great guitar harmonies. Um, yeah, man, this song, this song is an absolute rager, and this is my favorite one on the whole album. Yeah, I really liked it. I like the fact that they kind of like just kind of got away from having to force it into a traditional mold. They didn't really have much of a memorable chorus, but that's fine because it's about the groove and it's about the riffs. And about halfway through the song, it all drops off, and then we just get into this really cool epic section introduced by the bass. Mm-hmm. We get the bass introducing the riff, and then everybody else comes in. Um, yeah, I, I I really enjoyed this one too. It's because it's just feel it, it, it. The riffs feel nice and meaty, and made me want to headbang. Yeah, um, exactly. There there's like there was a groove there, and it changes. I mean, it's mid pace, but it almost slowed it down a little bit um, into something that was a little a little different. So it was refreshing, and it I again this is this is this one and metal we trust are the two that I'm going to keep in my playlist for sure. So what what are your thoughts about the bass tone on this album? What do you think about that? Um, I thought it was cool. Um, it, it, it rides, it's not, um, it's not incredible, but it, it definitely serves the purpose. It's audible most of the time. Um, but it also is thick. Um, so I thought it was cool. I thought it could maybe use a little more punch, um, like a little, a little more mid range, um, a little more shaping, um, maybe like a, a, a preamp in front of it would probably help just to give it a little more dynamics but you know this guy's really good i mean i thought yeah. this, i thought this bass player was really good um so and, and you know it, it's it, it it works it works quite well when the band when the band's there when they all drop out it could be stronger but it's not that it's 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 not like the crazy one that we had a couple albums back oh yeah from singapore or anything <laughs> this one uh I mean, it, it it serves its purpose, but it, it could it could use a little massaging. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. That fits with what I was thinking. I just I I, I noticed I, because it actually like there's a few prominent moments for the bass, which I like. I always like hearing that, but I did kind of feel like it sounds good, but I, I wanted something a little more from it. So that a little that, more, that like a, a little more, especially in the parts where I and mean, this is the thing that people can realize is you don't have to use the same tone all the time. Yeah. You can change it up. If you have a part where, um, you know, your bass, everything's dropping out and it's just the bass, you want to hear, like, I think for the parts where it drops out, like hearing a little more string attack would have been cool. Mm-hmm. Um, hearing a little more, more like clang, 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 whether it's the fingers, the pick hitting the string. You know, you can, you can, you can change up the EQ. You can go to your bridge pickup. You can throw some more whatever you can throw some more gain on it whatever on this one part and you can change your tone up because the parts change mm-hmm. you you can change your tone up on, on a different song like for me when on keepers of the flame i use a completely different settings for um 
the rising sign that I did for say frozen star, you know, because yeah. it, call, it calls for a different sound. Like the rising sign calls for a much more melodic touch. I played that song finger pick too. Like I didn't yeah. use a pick. So, you know, it, it just depends on the song. So, you know, you can, you can start to, you can change it up a little bit. You don't have to use the same tone all the time. So just my two cents, but yeah, into oblivion fucking rock on. It's badass. So then we get Ride the Dragon, which again, here we go. Another awesome intro. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like these guys can, can teach me a thing or two about writing intros, and I'd be happy about that. Um, this is a cool track. Um, there's, a, there's really great bass work on this, on, on this song, uh, especially during the intro. Um, it's very 80s uh, metal worship. Um, this would be a great live song. You know, yeah. my, my thing. I was like, oh, this would really get a crowd uh, whipped up live. Yeah, I, I saw they're like, it could be a good set opener. Yeah, for example. Mm-hmm. But I, I found it a little, and maybe it's just because I was like, all right, we're on track seven. I want a burner. And you know, I shouldn't judge things on what they aren't. But I, like, I, I, was, I was hoping for a burner and it kind of set it up like it was going to be. And they're, they're definitely like flirting with some power metal at points in this track. Yeah. Uh, in a way that I was like, ah, give me the power metal, and it didn't quite happen. But it's a cool song. Um, yeah, it didn't. It didn't stick out as much as some of the others. Um, but but it has some good moments. The has some flashy moments for the drums, which you know you, that guy can clearly play really well too. And I'd you know I'd be happy to hear even more flashy drum shit. I'm always into that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it, it was a uh, I don't know. It was kind of like. As, as often happens, um, and we might even be guilty of it too, um, the song that you don't really know what to do with gets the second last song. Yeah, the yeah, right, right, right. Um, but it's a, it's a cool track. I just didn't have a lot to say great or bad or bad about it. It's, it was enjoyable. That's just kind of it. You know, I, I did think it was, it was interesting that the, the chorus actually, the words of the chorus are ride with the dragon. Huh. And the song title is ride the dragon. I think they do say ride the dragon at one point, but just makes me think ride with the dragon. It's not necessarily the same thing as riding the dragon. Cause you could be riding like a motor ride with the dragon with the cool. dragon there beside you. I think or you ride could... with the dragon is a cooler title. I mean, yeah, I think so too. It's just a little bit, it's a little bit different. So I don't know. I think that would have been cool. You know, you're, you're cruising down the highway. You got, you know, you're at the wheel, your dragon buddies there with you, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. Blasting some lichen throw anyway. Yeah, so now we get <laughs> now we come to the closing track, Evangelion. Mm-hmm. I love it when a band tries something different. For the last yeah, and I love that these guys tried something different for the last song. And this is very ambitious. This song. Yeah, I mean, I think that in a lot of ways, for my taste, this was this was. Um, probably my favorite track on the album even though like there are times maybe where their reach might exceed their grasp a little bit but that was I my like, only issue with it but i like hearing the ambition i like yeah. hearing the vision you know and and this is a big song and it does have a big chorus that does work for me i can remember it you know right now i could sing it yeah. so th- in that sense I, I felt that that was successful and i like the epicness of it this was yeah. the first track i heard actually because um these guys sent us the the Dropbox files, but like my phone was all messed up and I couldn't get it to work right. So I had to find at first before the album actually dropped. I had to find the tracks that I could actually find on Apple Music, and and this was the single actually, oddly. Yeah. Um, and I was very impressed. 
um, and was honestly a, a little bit let down by the fact that some of the other tracks didn't quite have this sense of scope and ambition to them because to me like this is the song that really shows kind of the potential of what they could do down the line if they keep working in this vein and kind of get the production and the songwriting and the the precision that really goes along with the ambition then i think you know that certainly certainly yeah it's uh you know again there were some execution issues that you know, kind of pop up and they're, they're fairly prevalent, but like you said, it's, it's, it's different. It's very ambitious and it, it takes some fucking moxie to, to put a track like this at the end of a heavy metal record. So yeah. I definitely applaud them for this tune. Um, even if it wasn't my personal favorite on the record, I definitely give them like full marks for, for writing something like this because it's not, you know, it's, it's risky and it, yeah. it, it is putting yourself out there. It is kind of bearing your soul and kind of letting it all hang out. So, yeah. um, well, I, mean, I guess, I guess we should kind of describe it a little bit for people who are listening and haven't heard it. You know, you want to describe the track a little bit? Well, it's... Uh, for the folks at home, as they say. As they say. <laughs> I, it's, it's almost like a semi-ballad. It starts off, we, we get some of the, the piano stuff and the ballad singing in, in pretty much the same style that we heard back on uh, Fallen Angels Prayer, track two. Um, and then it builds up to a big soaring chorus mm. um and i'm trying to remember how it all fits together but that's it's it's definitely like um you mentioned the greyhawk song the rising sign it's along those lines in that it's got like keyboards it's got a big chorus it's a kind of a ballad but it's more like an epic ballad than a you know feelings ballad <laughs> sure 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 i got you um and uh, I mean, the chorus is just the title of the song, yeah. Which I've always—I I don't really know how to pronounce. It. I thought it was Evangelion, but they're saying Evangelion. That works either way, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's a Canadian thing. I can't remember. I've lived yeah, so right. long. I lived down um, here too some, long. I can't remember. <laughs> there's some ex, some of the best vocal moments though are on this in terms of the the, the vocal range that's displayed because it starts off in a nice ballad place. You hear the 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 more intimate kind of singing that he's capable of, which actually works pretty well for me i think it's not quite as it doesn't have the problems that some of the the mid-range stuff we were describing earlier has like when he sings quietly it's a little bit more precise mm. um and there's a lot of expression to it and i really like hearing that because like you said it's it's bearing the soul a little bit more you can hear the emotion of it um and i was really pleased by that and towards the end in the outro um, there's some of the best vocal moments on the record. There's some great falsetto moments that have little ornaments that, that really, really work. Um, and so it's not a bad place to start. You know, I can see why they would have released this as a single because it does show a lot of what the band's capable of. Um, yeah. But um, no, what were, what were some of your issues with it? Since it seems like you've got a, you're a little more reserved on this one. Than yeah, I, I guess I didn't have too. It wasn't so much issues. I just maybe again with with a lot of their epic, the epic stuff. I think it needs it's the the rawness of the production doesn't lend to um, the song being memorable to me. Yeah, um, I think the songs like this need they need some accoutrement. They need some sizzle on the steak. Um, they they need to there needs to be some more 
reverb on the drum, some more gating on the snare. There needs to be a little bit more. Uh, I need a little hear a little bit more from the guy behind the soundboard to make a song like this really, really shine. Um, and as it comes across, you know, I, I guess it just for me, it, it's it's a it's a cool fucking song. Like, don't get me wrong. Um, it just didn't have enough pizzazz, so to speak, to, for me to really come together. Um, I do like the ambition. I like the songwriting. And the performances are pretty good. And like you said, it is one of his better um, vocal moments um, on the record. I just think that, you know, it needs needed a little little something-something to, to yeah. really, really make it, make it shine. Because it could, you know, if it was really big and bold and epic it could really wrap it could put a nice bow on this album i thought it was interesting they do have some keyboards in there but they're pretty subtle there's like a there's a part a little riff that comes in with the keyboards and it's almost like uh the last in line yeah a little bit of last in line worship but i kind of felt like the keyboards were so subtle that it was almost like apologizing for having keyboards yes and, and that's that, yes and that's a sin that's wrong yeah. <laughs> because you, there's two ways for me. There's two ways to use keyboards. You either use them so subtly that you can't even detect them. Like the, yeah. they're, they're used as layering. And there's some of that on REP ride out. There was like some songs where there's like little, like one, like Jesse, like literally played like one note under a couple parts just to thicken them up. And mm -hmm. that's a very classic move. They're like little droning stuff underneath parts just to thicken it. Um, or it should be featured. Like you don't really want to have anything in, in between. Like those keyboards either got to be there and be prominent or they got to be there just for effect and they are subliminal. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would agree. Yeah. I, I think that's, if it's something they want to do, like maybe they should dive into it, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's true of anything, man. Like that's true yeah. of anything. If it's something you really want to do, you really want it on your record man, you gotta, you gotta go all in or don't put it there. Mm -hmm. Um, so I guess I didn't have so much issues with this song itself. I just, it didn't connect with me because I wanted to hear like a lot of these songs. I just wanted a bigger, bolder, you know, more in your face sound. Yeah. But it is, it is a cool song. I don't, I don't dislike. So I guess just to kind of sum up, summarize this thing for me, I'm giving this album an endorsement, a thumbs up, a recommendation. I'd say, you know, people go listen to it. I mean, this is a new band. This is a band that's cutting their teeth. Uh, they're finding their feet. And I really think there's great things to come from them. This album, it didn't thrill me, per se. It didn't make me jump out of my seat and go, oh, man, I got to go get this fucking vinyl right now. But I definitely enjoyed it. And there's a couple tracks I'm going to stick with. And if you're a fan of real classic, old school, kind of no frills, heavy metal, but with some adventurous twists and turns, then you'll probably enjoy these guys a lot. And I'm going to be definitely checking out their next release. Absolutely. Yeah. Put them on your radar. If you're a fan of the genre, then like, yeah, get them on your radar, get on the ground floor because they, they might be heading to some great places. And Hey, homeboys from Canada. So I'm always, I'm all yeah. about that. And, ba, 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 ba. <laughs> and speaking <laughs> of that, that's a good segue into our picks of the week because my pick of the week is a classic Canadian band. So I, my choice this week is Exciter's classic Heavy Metal Maniac. So this album is one of the all-time classic underground metal records from the 80s. Um, it's actually not my favorite Exciter record, um, but this is kind of like 
seen as the classic, and I love it all the same. Um, it has my favorite Exciter song on it, which I'll get to in a minute. Um, but this this album came out in 1983, um, and it was on Shrapnel Records. So this is out like you know, kind of just before Kill 'Em All hits. So this is this this album predates Thrash. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is this is an album you could kind of probably put in the speed metal category a little bit. Um, Exciter kind of was a band that really set the stage for speed metal. Like after this, bands like you know, Age of Steel, the first early Age of Steel stuff, and um, you know, um, Iron Angel and Razor and bands like that started coming out. Um, this was on a, sh- a little little tiny label called Shrapnel Records, and then this one that I have was from Megaforce Records. Uh, remastered this in like '05 or something or '08. I can't remember when it was, but interestingly enough, it got a remaster treatment from my buddy Jeff Waters from Annihilator um, in '04, and he did a really good job of of, of this. Um, and this band is very like this band is very revered in underground metal scenes. Um, they uh, they were supposed to play Allegiance of Metal um, when we were going to play this year, but that got pushed to next year, and I don't know if they're going to play or not. Um, I hope they will because uh, I love this band. Um, I remember getting this album into this album for the first time, you know, when I was in my early twenties, and it, it's starts with this like really eerie like wind gust and then the holocaust hits and you're just like holy shit this is this is something here um but stand up and fight is a classic heavy metal maniac the title track is a classic my favorite exciter song iron dogs is on this it's it's not your typical kind of exciter song it's a little more mid-paced but it's super heavy it's super catchy um and it is just fucking badass man um Here's a here's a band too that you'd find this interesting. Their drummer is the lead singer. Oh, interesting. Yeah, Dan Beeler plays drums and he sings. So uh, that's uh, something quite unique about this band too. Um, this one has two really cool tracks. They got a live version of World War Three from 1981 in Toronto, and there's a live version of Evil Sinner um, from New York in '83. So. Um, yeah, it's 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 pretty cool, man. Like this is a this is a great record. It's an all time classic. Um, if you're in, if you love thrash, speed, or classic heavy metal, this is a must for your collection. Um, this is everything about the underground um, eighty scene, especially like if you really want to get like get a vibe for what the underground scene in Canada was like in the eighties with when around with thrash was hitting. This is this is one of the ones to get. This one and Evil Invaders by Razor. They're kind of like the two mm. classics from back then. Um, along with the only two Anvil records that are worth a damn, which are Metal and Metal on Metal or Forged and Fire. Um, the re- a lot of people like the first Anvil record. I, I'm, I'm not a huge fan, but Anvil's rest of Anvil's career is kind of a <laughs> goddamn disaster. But yeah, Exciter, Heavy Metal Maniac. I mean, I'm sure... A lot of the a lot of the people who listen to this podcast are dorks like us, so they might may, they may likely have it. But if you have if you don't have this album and you haven't got it in your ears yet, like this is a piece of heavy metal history to to, to go check out as soon as possible. Awesome, yeah. I haven't I haven't heard it, so I just added it to my library, and I I'm curious to hear what the uh, you know drummer singer kind of combo how that works. Because, yeah, man. You know something that 
I guess not a lot of people probably know about me is I've, I definitely have a persistent fantasy of becoming a drummer. It's one of those things, maybe when I'm, when I'm older, it's going to happen. But uh, I did in high school for a short period of time, I was the drummer for a band and I ended up switching to guitar. Um, I'm not sure if it was because I sucked or not, but I, I definitely uh, wouldn't leave the cymbals alone. I got criticized. <laughs> <laughs> well, the drums were super fun, dude. But, you know, I just, the only reason, I, I'm, I'm a decent drummer, but the only reason I never did is because I didn't want to haul that fucking gear around. You know, yeah. like, and, and changing drum heads is expensive and singles break. And I, so I picked like the second most expensive instrument, which is the bass. But yeah, right. um, drumming is expensive. And I got, I got, you know, drummers are often the most made fun of people in the band. <laughs> also, like, I got to think, like, sitting on your ass and playing drums and singing mechanically that's that just sitting here feeling how my windpipe and everything is kind of shaped as I'm sitting, as I'm sitting that that's gotta be hard. Yeah. I think there's a, there's a good reason it's uncommon. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> fair. There's a good reason. I mean, and there's a reason I think even kind of extending that there's a reason why guitarist singers are more common than bassist singers. Cause the bass is a heavier instrument, a bigger instrument, and it affects your, your ability to, and it requires a different kind of physical life to play those parts and it doesn't always jive as well with the melody but well, I'll, uh, I'll say that dan Beeler's no virtuoso singer <laughs> you know he's yeah. not he's not a he's, he's not a train wreck but you know he's he is his his vocals fit the music well i'll say yeah that. all right so um i guess i i don't have a traditional heavy metal album today uh it's a more recent one but so uh, the other day i was uh alone in my in my house for the first time in a while because I'd been on vacation with my wife and uh, but she was doing a, a little singing gig over in Seattle and so I had a few hours to myself and I just kind of got to thinking like what do I want to listen to and the thing is like I'm, I'm a pretty social person and I'm pretty in tune with what other people like so if there's someone else around in the house or mm -hmm. in a social situation and I like a lot of different stuff so I'm, if I'm hanging out with the Greyhound guys I will tend to to lean towards stuff that works with what we have in common and if i'm hanging out with my wife i'll kind of lean towards what we have in common a little bit what i'm considering but i started thinking what what do i want to listen to when i'm just on my own what with with no one no accountability no one else is around not giving a shit what anyone else thinks what do i want to listen to and uh the album i ended up reaching for was this one which is the most recent full length by finland's amorphous nice which is I mean, this is a band that's in a scene that I have been into for a while. You know, ever since I was a kid, I've been listening to like Finnish heavy metal with a lot of the elements that Amorphous has going on. But for whatever reason, I just hadn't really gotten into these guys. I think it's because I, um, you know, got in. I, I remember checking out their early stuff way back in the day, like uh, I forget, Tales from the Thousand Lakes, I think was their, their kind of breakthrough. And it was cool, but it didn't quite, at that time, didn't quite do anything for me. But so somehow they had been off my radar and uh, I don't know, about four months ago, six months ago, maybe I came across this album and I just have not been able to stop listening to it. The album's called Queen of Time. And um, it's just a really interesting blend of styles. Um, you know, kind of at first glance, like there's a lot of European bands, right? That play with, you know, a lot of keyboards, folk elements, symphonic elements you know that, that stuff's not so uncommon but the way that these guys blend that stuff together is just incredibly adept 
So they have harsh vocals, they have clean vocals, they have a lot of keyboards, they have a lot of folk elements, but somehow they managed to really deftly avoid any of those things becoming cliches. And they all have in the metal scene, right? Like we all know what melodic death metal sounds like. We've all heard a lot of folk metal that's like trying to make it sound like it's 680, you know, but with metal. We've all heard a lot of symphonic metal that's trying to be like classical music, but rarely quite gets that level of complexity but this album is just I'm, I'm just every time i listen to it i'm amazed by how well they've blended all that stuff together so for example the opening track called the b which is based on some uh finnish uh, it's, it's from the kalevala the finnish folk epic um there's just so many different elements there's kind of this like keyboard almost starts off with like an almost techno kind of thing and then that Motive gets taken up by the guitar, which is playing like a that really clangy kind of sound with delay, like the edge from YouTube. But then there's harsh vocals, but then there's this clean pre chorus that's really like lush and gorgeous and it has Hammond organ on it. And it goes back to the, the death metal with this really like fat but kind of funky riff. And it's like, how are they doing all these things at once? It really works though. And I, so I'm just amazed I didn't know about this before. Um, we've talked about Winter Sun on the, on the podcast before, but to me, this is like, it's got some similar things going on in terms of the blend of styles, but it is superior to what Winter Sun has been doing recently. It's superior to what a lot of other bands from Scandinavia in the like modern big label metal scene have been doing to my ear. It's just really, it, it's just so interesting because they've got, They've got the symphonic elements. They've got choirs on it. They've got folk elements, but it doesn't sound like a folk metal cliche. It doesn't sound like a symphonic metal cliche. It doesn't sound like a death metal cliche. It's not too poppy, but it's really catchy. And they are like, the songs are basically based around choruses and, you know, more or less in the five minute kind of range. And yet they go to all these different places. Um, so really, I, I just, I, I'm kind of blown away and I can't stop listening to it and it's at the level where i like this album so much that i haven't even gotten around to checking out their back catalog which i know a little bit about we talked about a little bit before the the um before the the show started where they started off with you know being a death metal band one of the first to kind of blend in a little bit of folk elements into death metal and then they kind of went in this more goth metal direction at some point they picked up a new lead singer this guy um Tommy. I'm not even going to try to pronounce. Oh, Tommy Jutsen, I guess. Um, but the, the dude does, has a really great, as a baritone, I love this. He's got a really nice, warm, dark sound. A lot of uh, metal vocals, especially guys who blend harsh vocals with clean vocals, the clean vocals will oftentimes start to get kind of reedy and nasal. You know, even Michael Ockerfeld of Opeth, whom, you know, I, of course I love, he's, but his clean vocals kind of suffer a little bit, especially live because they get kind of up in his nose a little bit to compensate for those harsh vocals. But this guy can somehow do a, a great harsh vocal and then come out with this really nice warm round uh, sound that really works with heavy metal, but is clean. It's just, I'm amazed by the, by the blend of things they accomplished on this album. So anyway, I could rant about it for a while, but amorphous, the, uh, the album's called Queen of Time. Uh, definitely check it out if you're into modern stuff, if you're into folk metal, 
or even if you're not, but you kind of want to hear all that stuff uh, melded together in a way that doesn't hit all the normal, uh, it doesn't check the normal boxes or like checks the boxes, but manages to do it in a way that at least I haven't heard before. And I listen to this kind of stuff all the time. So it's, it's uh, interesting, this band too, like they have a very diverse history. Um, mm -hmm. They, I mean, when they started out and I, I'm actually looking at some numbers here, like this is very interesting to me. Um, so Tales from a Thousand Lakes, you're right. That was kind of like the breakout. That's when they kind of like got noticed, but they used to be very much more of a doom band um, mm -hmm. in the nineties. So they were on relapse records in the nineties. Um, they came onto my radar in with their 2001 release at Universum. That's mm -hmm. uh, there was a track called Alone. I think that was the single, and it was like really catchy. But that album, they went more of a hard rock direction. Like they definitely cleaned up the sound. It was more polished. It was like more of a gothic tinged hard rock. So that gets them signed to EMI at Virgin Records. Mm. Um, and then so that because that was like a big thing for them. So this is interesting. Um, if you ever want to have a look, if you ever have a doubt that like whether or not like the internet had an effect on record sales. So, um, you know, they had a couple like M Universum comes out, they Far From The Sun comes out, they're on EMI, then they went up a nuclear blast. Every single album um, from Far From The Sun all the way up to um, the new one is gold in Finland right? Mm -hmm. Which equals 10,000 plus sales of the record. In 1994, Tales from a Thousand Lakes, which didn't go gold or anything, sold 250,000 albums worldwide. 250,000, which was probably considered a flop in 1994. <laughs> Elegy, the next one, 1996, sells 130,000 records. Um, the big one, Amy Universal and Far Beyond the Sun, sold like Eight to 15,000 records. It's a difference of over 200,000 record sales. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if people don't think that downloading made a difference from the 90s to the 2000s, there's your proof right there. I mean, I'm sure that, like, you know, they could be on a little label like Relapse Records and sell 250,000 co copies in 1994. Then they get on Virgin EMI in 2003 and they sell 15,000. Like, the, the game changed, dude. It a hundred percent changed. A lot of people don't remember kind of what it was like in the nineties when, you know, bands could put out a record and it would say 250,000 records is probably considered just okay in 1994. Yeah. So uh, definitely uh, the game changed. So that was just very interesting for me to look at, but yeah, that's an interesting band with a very diverse catalog. Um, and and very I don't know, very distinctive songs too. Like I just, for me, it's kind of, I just love it. Like if I'm going to see a band live and they, you know, any band putting together a set list is going to have to choose some songs to play and some songs not to play. And to me, the sign of a great band is when it's a big deal when they choose to play or not to play something because each song is unique. Yep. Yeah. And that's, I mean, Granted, I'm only just digging into this band's discography, but from this album, that's kind of how I feel about it. Like each of these songs really has a unique flavor that works on its own and it works cohesively as a whole, but there's enough distinctiveness in each one of those tracks that you would miss any one if it's not included. 
Yep, so. they, they definitely have a sound. I, I definitely was a fan of them in my 20s. It's the kind of like gothic metal, hard rock, doomy sound. or something I was much more into in my 20s. I'm mm -hmm. not as much into it anymore, but they do that shit really well. All right. Well, that's our picks of the weeks. Two very, very different albums that, oh, yeah. that I think, but, but I will definitely go look at the, the list of that amorphous. I haven't listened to any of that kind of stuff in a while. It might be time to, you know, refresh the old earbuds and see how how my brain's absorbing it now that I'm in my forties. Well, it's um, definitely like this album, there's a, from a production standpoint, it's weighed on very thick. There's a million different, always layers, has a been. lot of stuff oh, yeah. going on. Yeah. Oh yeah. Always, always has been even going back as long as I've been listening to that band. Like I was a big fan of that album in one. Like yeah. I, I really, I really liked it. That track alone, I played it repeatedly. I got it on one of those, like, uh, it was on some sample thing I got. I don't remember what it was, but I really liked it. And I bought that album and I have it on CD somewhere in this house. I don't yeah. Um, but yeah, so we're going to go into our, you know, kind of topic of the week. And this kind of stemmed from a discussion um, I had with um, some, some musician friends of mine when I was down at Portland. Um, and that is kind of like, I, we want to talk about, I want to talk about like heavy metal journalism for mm -hmm. when it comes specifically and it's, being it's kind of ironic to do it on a podcast where we review albums. <laughs> but I'd like to talk about kind of like the relevancy of reviews and like interviews, I guess, too, is something I'd like to talk about. Um, and whether or not um, people listen to, li read them, whether or not people care, whether or not people take heed in, 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 in reviews. And I would say for me, it's a double-edged sword. Um, I like reading reviews sometimes I like listening. I like listening to reviews. I like listening to discussions. I like listening to interviews. I like it when things go in depth and there's good questions being asked or when the reviewer takes the time to really dig into the guts of the album and see why they like it, or either why they like it, why they don't like it, why they would recommend it, why they wouldn't and paint a picture for the listener as to what the experience is like. Um, because that's that's part of the that's part of the press machine. Um, I hate it. I hate generic reviews. Um, I hate it when it's like, oh yeah, if you like Maiden, like the classic one, it's like, oh yeah, if you like eighty stuff, you know, like if you like Maiden and, and, and Priest and things, you'll think this album seven out of ten. Like, thanks, Chet. Like, I could have figured. <laughs> like, anybody could have fucking figured that out. Um, and the same with interviews, like. You know, and I'm not trying to, like, sound jaded, but, like, when I get interviews where they're like, what was the first metal song you listened to? God damn, dude. <laughs> nobody gives a fuck. Like, nobody gives a fuck. Or, like, what kind of guitar do you play? Like, nobody cares. Like, you haven't listened to the album. <laughs> you know? and, you, and you can tell by reviewers sometimes when they haven't listened to the album. Mm -hmm. Um you know, and it, it's interesting to read some review sites like Angry Metal Guy is a really interesting one to read because it's almost like there's a cult of listeners. It's like a street sweeper driving by or something. Yeah, literally, literally it was a street sweeper. I got the window open for some reason. But, um, you know, for better or for worse, like those, those guys can be a little harsh with some of their, you know, criticisms and so can the people and the topics, but at least they like open up some discussion. Um, they use some literary devices sometimes that I don't always agree with. Like, I don't really agree with being a dick in reviews. I think it's, I think it's fucking pointless. And at that point, you're kind of like 
trying to advertise, you're trying to get yourself over more than the band to use a wrestling term. Um, you're trying to like be a cool guy. Um, so I'd, I'd rather hear like, if, 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 if an album is shit, then say it's shit. That's fine. Like, you know, that, that's okay. But if it's a young band who's like trying to, you know, cut their teeth or whatever, like try to be a little more constructive, I guess. I don't know. What do you think? Man? Yeah. I mean, criticism is always kind of a tricky aspect of any arts culture, right? It's, it's all, it's been there for centuries and it's always pissed people off. And yet it's persisted as something that for some reason is part of the kind of ecosystem of, of the arts. You know, um, it seems like in the metal scene, we don't really have the thing going on where there are like important critics who are celebrities because they're critics. <clears throat> Maybe yeah. to some extent, but that's something you get like in film, for example, uh, or even in classical music to a certain extent, you get that. Even like, if in food, you do. There's been, there's been, like, oh, yeah. there's been culinary critics who like, that's their job, mm -hmm. you know, and that, that's crazy. <laughs> Imagine being paid to like go to three-star Michelin restaurants and just be a fucking asshole. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. And I, I, I mean, I, I guess there, there is a purpose to it in theory, which is like the critic somehow maintains the artistic integrity uh, or like inspires people to reach a higher level by being critical. Yeah. But in the process makes a lot of enemies and pisses a lot of people off because more often than not, they, uh, the things that get the biggest reactions, at least if you're a critic, are panning something. Like sure. The, the more, if, if you're, the harsher you are, the more attention it's going to bring you as the critic, right? Yeah, and then I guess the, the people who are being criticized, like if you get a good review from, you know, Frankie Dicksnapper or whatever, whoever the guy is, that like um, is, is always bagging on things, and oh, it must be amazing, you know? So I guess that's part of their hook that they'll use as, as a critic. But I view kind of like, there's two, I had this discussion on the internet. A, a friend of mine had written something on the internet about how bands are like making, you know, the, the bands are trash talking critics and stuff. And I would say my words to him were, you're not a critic. You're a, a writer and a metal journalist. You know, you, you listen to things and you objectively write your thoughts about them. Critics are the kind of people who watch a battle from a high place, then they come down and shoot the survivors. <laughs> There's like that Hemingway quote, right? Exactly. So he, it's like, those are the kind of people that they ignore all the hard work that probably went into this record, all the, you know, money, effort, time, and honestly sacrifice that like went into it. And I don't buy that too, that much. It's really not that fucking hard to make an album. <laughs> you know like really it's it's not that fucking difficult i mean it is a time out of your life but what else are you gonna do <laughs> you know i kind of i gotta have that discussion like i was like oh man people don't know how hard like touring is i'm like motherfucker touring isn't hard it's i'm sorry touring is not hard touring is fun like getting loading up in a van with a bunch of your buddies and driving around and not going to work and then playing rock and roll and then drinking alcohol and hanging out with people is not hard. I'm sorry. It isn't. And if you go broke when you get back, well, that's your fucking fault because you didn't budget for it. You didn't save any money. Like what? No one told you that taking two weeks off, you weren't going to get paid. Like, come <laughs> on, motherfucker. Like just, just fig figure it out. Like, and the same with making a record. Like, you know, Oh, like I'm broke now. Cause I made this album. 
how? Like, how did you, how did you do that? First of all, who conned you into paying $12,000 for them to record your record? If that's, cause that would make me broke. You know, you know, right. who, who conned you into, who, who, who sold you on that shit in 2021 when you can make a record in your house if you really want to? Like, there's no, apart from like the major producers and the mega studios, no, no one should be charging you that much money. Like, or like, did you take time off work? Like, what, what the hell happened? Like, how, how did you get, get yourself broke making your record? I mean, you have a little bit less money, but how the hell are you broke, motherfucker? You know, and it's, it's not, it's not that hard. Like go get up and going to work every day is hard, you know, making sure you you pay the bills. That's hard. Like getting up and, and, you know, raising a kid is hard. Making an album is not hard in the grand scheme of life. So let's all just like take a step back and breathe and not think that what we do is like the most laborious, difficult, amazing thing on the face of the fucking planet. So, well, I think, you know, probably would be more accurate to say is that it's hard. The hard work comes in kind of maintaining a musical project over the long term and dealing with the ups and downs of all the people in the projects, their, sure. their life issues that come up, making the decision to stick with it, even when it's hard, even when it's not advantageous, even when there's other things in your life that are demanding your attention. Yeah, they're, 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 but there is strength. But my point is like, I got off on a tangent there about, you know, musicians <laughs> crying, but you know, the, the other thing is like the, the, the critics do, they ignore all the fact that it is some work, you know, yeah. it is, it takes, it does take some effort and, you know, not everybody has the ability to write music. I mean, Mr. Critic, sir, who is writing this burning missive about my album, where's your album? I would very much like to read it my, hear it myself and offer you my thoughts. Um, so it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, I do think there are people who are, I consider metal journalists and I respect like people like Sarah from Smolder who does reviews for, for banger TV and stuff. I think she does a really great job of, of really delving into the music and um, explaining, you know, her, her thoughts on it, why she liked it or why she disliked it. Um, you know, my, there's, there's a couple people like the guy, what's that one place out of Portland? Um, they did last rights or something like that, or. Are they out of Portland? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think I well, some of the people are, um, yeah. the, the people on that side do a great job. Um, I even, I find the angry metal guys amusing. Um, like I, I find, I think it's funny to go on that site and read it sometimes. Sometimes I'm like, you know, what happened to you as a kid that makes you that angry about this record? You know, like I know it's the angry metal guy and that's the kind of like the, the thing about it but like yeah i mean sometimes I, that's, the, I think, that's the gimmick you know so the fact that it's the gimmick doesn't make makes makes it make sense to me and i know it's not supposed to be taken super seriously but sometimes i'm like man what what the hell happened to you <laughs> <laughs> well it's kind of a in its own weird way criticism in the artistic sense is like its own kind of performance like the, there's a ritual to it and there's a persona that certain critics have um that is is almost like a, a character they're playing mm. but um yeah it's, it's i don't know are we critics are we like by certain definitions yeah because we Probably. listen to new albums that come out 
we discuss it, it we engage in criticism, not in the sense like I think, it, you know, in popular language now, criticism typically has a negative connotation. But in the original sense, it doesn't necessarily. It just means we're, we're discussing it and talking about it. Yeah. And, you know, um, I, I, I don't I, I'm, and I, I think I speak for you, too, is I'm never going to be an asshole about anybody's album. Like, I'm just not going to do that, even if it's something I can't stand and I don't, really don't like it, I'm not going to be an asshole. I mean, maybe if it's Metallica or, you know, some big band like that who is too busy wiping their ass with $1,000 bills to care what I think, um, you know, and or, if I think, or if something's incredible or something's like egregious or really stupid, then we'll point it out. But, you know, I'm definitely not going to go, you know, crap all over a young band who's, trying to or, or peers of ours who are just trying to slug it out in the trenches and make it you know there's definitely criticism like we say can be constructive you know yeah i guess like one of the functions of a critic in the in the old school sense in an artistic community is to kind of reveal the fake ass bullshit when it's coming out somebody sure. has to call it out but in an underground scene it does not quite the same kind of thing because it really is like, that's one of the great things about metal as an underground scene is we are all kind of working together to try to elevate metal in general. And if one metal band succeeds, they're going to bring other metal bands with them because Certainly. it's not, you know, the vast majority of people in the world, as we've talked about, don't care. It's not quite the same as like, you know, movies or something where like yeah maybe half the people in the world actually are gonna watch this shit and if it sucks somebody needs to be the one standing up and be like hey i think this sucks it's it's a little different with with underground metal i mean because so much of the function of music journalism at this level is to bring certain bring artists to light that wouldn't be otherwise so you mentioned sarah from smolder like you know i'm friends with her on facebook and it's it's really cool because like She's constantly posting things like, hey, if you like raw black metal, check this out. Hey, if you like the really old school stuff, check this out. Like she's using that platform to shine a light on artists that might not be, uh, that people wouldn't know about otherwise. So that's, I think, an important function of music journalism. And that's, you mentioned The Last Rites. Like I've been reading that site since back when it was like metalreview.com in like 2003 and there's so much music i've discovered by going on a site like that and just being like well what's new this week and i'll read the reviews and i'm not necessarily looking to see whether or not like they're saying it's good or it's bad because i don't necessarily care and and most of the time you know i'm with that site for example for a while i was looking at the byline because i read enough reviews to kind of know like which reviewers liked which things but in general i just want to see the description like whether they liked it or not, are they describing something that sounds like it would be interesting to me? And that's really how I use music journalism and music criticism is not to, I don't care whether they liked it or not. I just want to know if it's something that I should check out. Yeah, exactly. And that's, um, that's a, an interest that that's a good way to look at it. I mean, if someone, cause if someone, you know, I, I did a couple, I did a reviews for a site for a minute and I kind of stopped because they kept asking me to review like grindcore albums and tech death albums. And I don't listen to those, those genres. I don't like those genres. So I didn't feel that I had anything to add by reviewing them. I'm not mm -hmm. helping them. I'm not helping anyone who is potentially going to listen to this band. 
I mean, send me all your traditional metal, your power metal, your thrash metal, your stoner rock, and your doom, and I will be able to offer an, an educated opinion on it. But I, if you send me, um, you know, the latest, like, you know, Disgorge album, I'm not going to get it. Like, I, I'm just not. There's no way my ears are going to go, oh, yeah, I understand why this is good or bad. Right. I don't understand the nuances of grind. I don't understand the nuances of tech death. I know that the playing's impressive, but beyond that, I just don't get it. So I didn't think it was my place. And so and there's so many times when you read reviews, you're like, this guy doesn't listen to this kind of music, you know? Well, you do get that a lot with traditional metal. And it's something I kind of came across that I've come across looking at, you know, other reviews of some of these, these albums we've talked about and even reviews of our band, which is like, yeah, I think some people, they hear like, a riff and somebody singing in falsetto and they're like jesus judas priest you know i'm gonna just talk about yeah, judas priest exactly. and and you know from a more when you're more like acclimated to the, this kind of music you listen to that and you're like this doesn't i would not use judas priest as the example here there's a lot no of no and that, that's you know? the thing always way off you know i mean every once in a while you get a reviewer that's really in tune with it um which is great and the, the, the guys that can do that well um you know can, are, are pretty spot on um one of the reviewers that I remember reading back in the day is a guy named Martin Popoff. And he, he's quite well known. He's written a lot of books and he was scathing, dude. Like if, if an album sucked, man, he would unload. And you know, it's, it's, it is really funny. Um, I remember distinctly he was reviewing Adrenalized by Def Leppard, which just sucks. That album just sucks. And he was like, he opened the review with, a heaping pile of bacterial and hospital smells. This album <laughs> is an affront to all that walks and defecates. <laughs> it's like, oh my God. Like, I'm not usually a fan of people like, you know, cutting shit down. But first of all, Def Leppard are millionaires and don't care. But two, you got to lay down for the pin after a burn like that. Like, that's a knockout punch. That's like right off the bat. He's won the fight. Like, you know, that's just walking up to somebody, you know, bam, cold cock and right in the face. That was unbelievable. And I think that's absolutely hysterical. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you look at a band like Def Leppard and the amount of money and like effort that, you know, and support they have in making an album like that, and then it turns out so terrible. You're like, well, somebody has to like point out the discrepancy between the resources and the results. Well, yeah, you go, you go like, from, yeah, it's, it's totally. And, that, and that's fine. And I think there's ma major, I mean, you go from what they were writing on High and Dry and Pyromania to that. And it's like, that was a freaking, that was like a shitty pop album. Not even a good pop. It was a shitty, Adrenalize was a shitty pop album. And they asked for, you know, like, so, it, it, it kind of is what it is. Like, I, that reminds me today. Oh, man. God, today, I, I wrote this on Facebook earlier, but I, I had a 15-year streak of not hearing How You Remind Me by Nickelback. And That's impressive. How did you do that? I don't know. When you, um, like, go to, you go to stores and you eat at restaurants? Like, I, don't, I, I guess I go into the right ones, but I went, of all places, of all places, I went to um, – do a job site, do a, a job site walk at a hospital today at the university of Washington. And they had a, I wanted to get some coffee and they had a Starbucks kind of in the lobby of the hospital. And I walked into the Starbucks and that stupid opening line 
popped in, and I was like, no, damn it. <laughs> I'm a decade and a half down the shitter, and I got to start the clock again. Well, you lost the game. I lost the game. I lost <laughs> it. So, you know, hey, it, but it, it – and, that, you know, and that's just it. I mean, you know, if someone, you know, laughs at Nickelback's expense, I don't think anybody cares because, you know, first of all, Nickelback are living in mansions, I assume, and, you know, doing whatever. They don't care what some guy on a, on a website thinks. And two, you know, when you write songs like Something in Your Mouth, it, <laughs> and you, I'll, you never, I'll never forget when I heard that song the first time. I was like, you got to be shitting me. Like, <laughs> I did not think, like, because my, my, let's sing my old band, like, you – it was coming on the radio. He's like, no, I heard this earlier. You got to hear it. They've somehow made a song that's even stupider. And they're I'm like, it's not possible. And then the line, you look so much cuter with something in your mouth came on. And I lost it. I lost my fucking <laughs> shit. And when you write songs like that, you, you deserve to get made fun of. I'm sorry. It just is, it you, you're asking for it. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that slagging on, you know, small independent bands who are just trying to make a go of it is a pretty weak move. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the atmosphere of, of journalism and, and criticism has changed so much. And in some of the same ways we've talked about, uh, about how the internet's changed, how we consume music. And, and it's affected criticism too, because if you think about back in the day, you know, uh, somebody puts out a new album and the only way you're going to hear it, unless there's some songs on the radio, is if you go down to the record store and buy the album. So before you do that, you might want to pick up the only way you can read about it is probably in a magazine or a newspaper. Yes. And it's going to be somebody whose job it is to write down their thoughts about it. And that's one of the only ways to get information about the album. Uh, so at, at that point, the critic played a kind of important role of, of being a tastemaker because they were the only one in that particular magazine or that particular newspaper who was going to listen to that particular album and write about it. Um, and so it really had a, that one person had a lot of ability to affect, you know, the people in their area's opinions or at least what they buy. But now with the internet, uh, anyone can put out an album and anyone can review it. And for that reason, I think the way I at least use reviews nowadays is more like kind of just to take the temperature on something. Like if I'm curious, like what do people think? So I, I don't know. I love this amorphous album that I didn't read about. I just started listening to it and, and, and really liked it. Is that something other people think too? I'm going to look up amorphous queen of time review and just kind of read two or three reviews from randos to see what the temperature is on it. Not because I want, it's not going to affect my opinion. It's just like, I want to know, is this something that everybody thinks or am I crazy? You know? Yeah, that's so. true. But it's, 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 I guess, I guess the role is, is, is a bit less now, apart yeah. from when like, you know, an album's coming out and you're kind of hyping it up and some people, you want to hear what some people have thought um, before, you know, the new Halloween comes out, for example. Right. Because, you know, then that's, no one's going to hear that until the day it drops. Um, which we, with, with many albums, no one's going to hear it till the day it drops unless someone leaks it out of the studio, which is amazing how much that happens. Well, let me ask you this. So, so for example, with the Halloween album, you, you might want to know a little something about it before it comes out, or you might just be curious because you're a fan of Halloween. Mm -hmm. um, 
are there any particular critics, any particular names you're going to seek out to hear what they think? Like you want to hear what this one guy thinks of the album? I mean, I, I like to hear what the folks at Banger TV think. You know, I, I definitely enjoy reading um, their stuff. So I, I think maybe the critics, the role of the critic now, or the, the journalist now, is to give airtime because, because the market, here, here's where I think they're important. And this just kind of came to me. Because now the market is so saturated with so much music. There's so much stuff. Their job is to kind of like highlight the stuff that you might have missed. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when, like when, when they're reviewing albums and, you know, there's not really a central place where you can figure out what the hell's coming out unless you follow a band. Or mm-hmm. you've, some web, there's some websites that give you insights into certain genres, but for like the more underground traditional stuff that we're trying to get our, our hands on, um, like this album we reviewed this week, you're not going to hear about that on Wikipedia or um, Metal Injection or Metal Sucks or whatever. You know, you kind of got to just do a little digging yourself. So I think a lot of times, like I've watched Banger TV or read sites like that and gone, oh, that's interesting. I should listen to that. Mm-hmm. I should give that one a shot. So maybe the importance now is for them to give a platform for the albums that they think are worthy of everybody's ears because everything is so saturated. It's hard to weed through and, and figure out who's put what out and when and why should I listen to it? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, um, that's, I think that's in a sense what we're trying to do, right? We want to support. That's a hundred percent what we're, what we're doing. And you know, the, yeah. And I really appreciated that this with the album we did this week is the first time this happened is instead of just like, I don't know, going online and like Googling like new metal albums like we do every week. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Actually, this band reached out to us and was like, hey, you guys have a podcast. Do you want to hear our album? Yeah, and that, that, and that's, that shows guts on their part. So yeah, yeah, hey, if there's any bands out there, if you have an album and you like us to, you know, do a real, if you want to hear t- two people do a real deep dive into your record and be totally honest, but constructive, you know, we're not going to be assholes to you unless you're singing about, I don't know, something horrible. You know, right. if you're like, if, you, if you're some kind of like uh, Nazi band or something, yeah, send me your record. Murdering oh. puppies and juice. Yeah, I, I, I will listen to it and call you a fucking asshole. On yeah, the right. Absolutely. But yeah, no, if, if, if any bands are out there and you want us, you want us to, whatever platform we have, we'll, we'll give it to you. And I think one of the other reasons we started this podcast was to just go in depth and give, and then give people a chance to really listen to a couple of people talk in depth about their music and not, um, not just, um, you know, not just, uh, Hey, yeah, cool. Sounds like pretty seven out of 10. Yeah. Right. And yeah, we're certainly not claiming that we have any exclusive, you know, intellectual superiority to where what we say is the truth. It's just, we have our own particular opinions and biases and histories and that's going to affect what we're saying. It's, oh, not, yeah. it's not so much to like put any kind of stamp of official approval on anything or like, or I don't know, tell the truth about the album so much as just like shine the light, give it some attention. And, you know, I don't know. There's a lot of times I've discovered music. I like from hearing, from reading like, or, or hearing not so great reviews. Of yep. people who didn't like it but i'm like wow the way they didn't like this makes it seem like something i'd actually really like <laughs> yeah know? for sure for sure all right man well i think uh 
you know, that, that, that was kind of a cool way that we, cool conclusion that we came to, you know, and that was like something I just kind of realized that, you know, there are roles for critics and journalists and that's to give, you know, bands who might be falling by the wayside a little bit of platform and exposure. You know, I think that part of the underground is really important and I'm just kind of realizing now how much, you know, I kind of rely on it sometimes, yeah. you know, and how yeah. many albums I've managed to, to get in my ear holes because somebody on a site that I was, that I follow or a YouTube channel I watch has talked about it. So I, think I learned that, something today. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I think the thing that's important to remember, you know, that we should all try to keep in mind as I guess, quote unquote, critics or journalists or whatever. It's just like, it's about the music, not about you. You know, nobody 100%. wants to read a review that's like too much, you know, one person trying to get attention for themselves and using someone else's music to get attention for on them as a writer. Like that's no fun to read. And we no, all kind of Yeah. I mean, you certainly, you want to be entertaining and you want to be interesting. You don't want to be like, this album is good because the, artist use the Arabic scale on this solo and that is very appropriate for the key of music. You want to be like, <laughs> you, 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 you want to be lively and, 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 and passionate and everything, but yeah, don't make it about you. Yeah. Make, it, make it about what you think of the music and make it about the music. Put the artist over. Um, don't put yourself over. Yep. It's um, a supporting role. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it, and, it, and it should be fun. And we should all just be having fun with it. Because yep. music is supposed to be about fun and enjoyment, and you know, and and stimulating our audio sense, our audio senses. So, yep. All right. Well, hey, man, this is great to be back, and we are going to be back in the saddle uh, from here on out. You know, we'll obviously, you know, we both have lives and things we do, so there might be weeks we miss here and there. But I'm planning to get back in the saddle. So is Rev. So I think next week we're going to look at the new Flotsam and Jetsam record. If you're down yeah. for that, because absolutely, I, I've been listening to that and I've been quite enjoying it. It's 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 pretty badass. So, um, oh, I'm all also, about it. I, I really like that band. So, I'm gonna give you know this is not a Greyhawk podcast, but I'm gonna give a shameless plug that we are playing our first show back after Yay. more than a year. I don't know how long it's been, year and a half probably. It's um, close. To, I, I count it. I think it's 16 months, so almost a year and a half. That's the, that's yeah. gross. But yeah, it's uh, so we're playing in Tacoma, Washington um, for Tacoma Cult Fest. And it's a two day event. And our friends at Cult Mead, uh, Brian and Jen, who make some of the coolest meads in the, in the Pacific Northwest, they made one for us uh, last year. And that was one of the highlights of an otherwise uneventful year for us musically. But it, it so it's kind of cool that one of the highlights for us is the place we're going to play. And it's going to be outdoors. So, you know, the science is. We're, we're the, the things are looking up with as far as COVID, you know, leaving us as far as a pandemic level. But the research has proven unequivocally that COVID does not spread outside. So you can come hang out outside of the show, and feel pretty damn safe that you ain't gonna get sick. Um, so yeah, that'll be July 30th at Cult Meet in Tacoma. If you are in the Washington area, or hell, if you're not, you want to travel, man, it's beautiful here. In, in the in late July, come to come to Washington, see a metal show. Come uh, tell us what you think of our podcast. If you hate it, tell us you hate it. I don't care. I can take the criticism. <laughs> um, if you love it, tell us you love it, and I'll I'll care about that. <laughs> so anyway, we're gonna sign off for the week. Um, thanks everybody for tuning in. 
Uh, have yourself a great work week. Take care. Put your head down and get through it. And we will be back here for more heavy metal nerdery and cold beverages next Sunday. Hell yeah. Yeah.